Hayes. Good evening, Black Herb America. Uh, this is Queen Mother for Real Media. Our host, my name is Kenny, and this is Tammy. Yes, I'm here. Hey, hi, Kenneth. Hi. Uh, I had a little connection problem. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. How are you? And, I'm doing uh, fantastic. Yes. I just <laughs> oh, I think your guest is here. Okay. What is his name? It's a 971. Uh, we have Emmanuel. We have Emmanuel Kelly. He's a student. In uh, California, okay. we, want, we want to talk about microaggressions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and also you have hello nine seven one hello. Hello. Yes. I'm Emmanuel. Oh, this is Emmanuel. Welcome, mm-hmm. Emmanuel, to Black Urban America. Uh, okay, Tammy, take it away. Yeah, so we had decided to talk about microaggression. We think that um, it's something that we should discuss because it's something that we experience very often, either on the workplace, either in school, even in the grocery store. And um, so I invited a student on so I said he can explain some of his experiences in the um, in, in those type of situations. So that's what I did today. That's what we're doing. So, Emmanuel, um, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from? and some of your experiences? All right, sure. Uh, I'm from Vallejo, which is uh, actually one of the most diverse cities in California, which is a pretty diverse state already. Um, I am also attending college, um, studying sociology. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much pretty much it. Um, I think that microaggressions is a really, really good topic, like kudos on the topic, because um, it's just, it's important to realize and be able to recognize what they are, where they are, and how much we actually are exposed to them, and what it is that we can do about them. Okay, can you give us some examples of microaggression and from your experience? Oh, my perfect, my favorite, my personal favorite microaggression is when I'm told that I'm very well-spoken, like when white people tell me, oh, you know, you're so well-spoken, you're so literate, you're so, um, you're so concise when you talk, as if, you know, black people can't be <laughs> literate. Yeah, so we, we, we can't be articulate. Yeah, or be articulate. I hate being told I'm articulate. That is my least favorite thing to hear ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another example is space. You'll notice that, like, oftentimes people, particularly dominant groups, feel entitled to your space. So um, that includes walking, like walking down a hallway. People will not move out of your way. <laughs> that is a microaggression. That is a microaggression. It's intentional. Whether it's, you know what I mean? It's right. the unwillingness to share space. Or when you bring up a black issue and then someone brings up a completely unrelated issue and goes, well, what about this? That's also an entitlement to space, if that makes sense. Right. The feeling that they are entitled to interject their opinion into that space that's not for them. 
Right. And another thing, too, like I noticed that if you say something about, like, the violence that the police are projecting onto our people or to people, you know, of color, then they'll say, well, there's black-on-black crime. What about that? Oh, yeah. What are Um, we doing to curb black-on-black crime? You know, I hear that a lot. Yes, that's another good example. And really, unfortunately, I hear it a lot from members of the black community as well that one right you know well what about black on black crime there is no such thing as black on black crime do you know what you call white on white crime you call it crime black <laughs> on black crime is a on words that is intentional in its intent to um kind of undermine black humanity it's you know black on black crime well they're killing each other so we can kill them too why not right and that makes it okay mm-hmm. that you know yeah, but really, the, key, the biggest killer in any neighborhood is probably going to be a white man. You have to understand that when we're looking at crime especially, that it's going to be – crimes are committed against people who are in proximity to you. You know what I mean? So if you live in a black mm-hmm. neighborhood, the guy robbing you, chances are it's going to be black. You know what I mean? Because that's mm-hmm. who is in your neighborhood, not particularly because black people are criminals. Right. Because the criminal right. in your element the criminal element in your neighborhood is going to look like the makeup of your neighborhood. Exactly. And that's very true. And a lot of things that you don't hear about is when you see I mean when there is white on white crime. They don't report that. They don't report that. They have special media outlets for that where they make like a lifetime network or they make it put it on I D network or something like that to make it like um, something, a drama, like a, like they're dramatizing it, but they don't report it constantly on the news unless there's like a shooting at the school or something like that. That get, that makes the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And it's crazy because oftentimes we, another form of microaggression is the fact that we are constantly representatives for the entire race. Like in class, I have been asked for the black perspective on something, which is odd because I can't give an all-encompassing perspective on anything because I am one individual and we are all individuals. Right, right. There's no monolith. And that's true how how they lump us all together. Yeah, how they try to lump us all together when it comes to something like because you have one portraying one image, so they all must be that way. And that's largely my opinion. Should speak for the rest of my community because I'm a member of the community. I hate that. I hate the ideology behind that. Exactly. So um, another example, I think, of um, microaggression is when, like you talked about space, we talked about, um, you know, the labels, of course, um, and how people just treat you in public. You know, if if oh, yeah, you're if sure. you're in public, and and this goes for other races too. So say if you're at, a, at at like a salon or something, or at a nail shop or anywhere, they would always treat the other race or you know before or try to get to them before they actually help you because they feel like that's a more valuable customer, even though our money is the same. Right. That's my experience, and I mm-hmm. you know I. I hate that. That's why I was thinking that we really need to start to have our own places where we go and do our own nails. We do our own. We already have our own salons, but you know, basically, because it's just the other races cater to that kind of um, ideology. You know what I mean? They kind of mm-hmm. cater to 
um, that they are, that this is a more, you know, that the white people are more or superior somehow, and so that they their money matters more than ours, or that you know that or maybe it's because we're not valuing ourselves enough, you know, or valuing our <laughs> own dollar enough. That's why we talked about too trying to keep the money inside of our own communities as well, so that we don't have to face some of the um, disrespect that we get when we're out dealing oh, with yeah. Now some of it's not going to go away. Just oh, you know, it's not just going to stop happening, but you know, we can shield ourselves from it by just choosing to spend our money differently or choosing where we go and how we, how we go there, you know. I agree. And also pointing them out. I always, when I'm experiencing a microaggression, I like to point it out. Even if, you know what I mean, it won't be well received. Oftentimes, like especially in a classroom setting, I'll point it out because in sociology there is a lot of debate. There's a lot of speech. There's a lot of talking. And so when someone says, you know, Emmanuel really articulated that point well, but I disagree, don't patronize me. I'll tell them, don't patronize me. You don't have to do that to prove whatever your Mm -hmm. point is. I know that I'm articulate. I know that I'm well-spoken. It is possible for black men to be well-spoken. And I have no problem with letting someone know that. Or, you know, this is not the space for that conversation. I have no problem letting someone know that. Um, I no longer move out of the way when people try to walk through me. I'm not moving out of the way anymore. These, you know what I mean? I am going to continue walking. You see me, you can go around, or we can right. collide. <laughs> these are, these now, are your options. Now, do you options. think – I'm sorry. I was going to say, do you think that they are intentionally doing this, like when they look at you and they say, okay, yeah, I'm just going to – or do you think that it's more passively? No, I think doing that – they're passively. I think that all white people are racist. There's no way that you can be – There's no way that you can be raised up in American society and not be racist. That would mean that our high school system has failed. Our high school system teaches racism. We're indoctrinated into it. So everyone is racist. You can't be submerged in water and not be wet. You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense. Um, And it's not on a conscious level. You said it's not on a conscious level? I don't think that it's always on a conscious level. You know what I mean? If you're indoctrinated, if you're taught something to be the truth, that's what you believe. And, I mean, there are people who would disagree with that statement, but those people would be wrong. You can be racist and be actively resisting your racism. Jane Elliott is one of my favorite social activists ever. She's an elderly white woman, and she'll be the first to tell you I'm racist. You know, I wish I wasn't. But I have racist thoughts. I have racist tendencies that I combat every day. And she's a pro-black activist as a white woman. Yes. She's an ally. So that is, you know, there's no way that you can be raised in our society and not be racist. So I've seen her, actually. Can you talk about Jane Elliott a little bit, it's about some of her exercises that she's done so that uh, listeners can kind of know oh, who yeah. you're talking about? Jane Elliott is was originally a third-grade teacher who um, did an experiment on her third-grade class after Martin Luther King died called the Brown-Eyed, Blue-Eyed Experiment because her class was mostly white. She wanted to, and I believe her exact words were, she wanted to divide her class up by, you know, eye color, something they couldn't help, something outside of their control. And then I believe her exact words were set lower expectations for them 
to force them to live down to those expectations in order to show them what it is like to be black in modern America. Um, and now she travels the world. She does this for college classes, and it's a very intense experiment. Uh, there are warnings that, you know, you can have ulcers, you can have um, emotional breakdowns. Like if you, you have to sign a waiver to even <laughs> participate in the experiment because it's so intense in the way that she conducts it. Uh, so you mean to tell me that But it's an amazing thing to behold. Oh, yeah. There was um, – <laughs> In the documentary I watched, uh, there was a girl. She was running the experiment, and there's this girl, and she basically she pushed her over the edge, so the girl starts crying, and she asks her, she's like, are you in any physical danger? And the girl, you know, says no. And she's like, you know that once you leave this room, this will be over. No one's going to discriminate against you based on your eye color. But for black people, when they leave this room, that's their life. This is their everyday life can do this for an hour. Get over it. Martin Luther King was shot. She told this girl this as she's crying. <laughs> she, um, she's very merciless in the way she conducts it. And I think that her, even though it's an extreme example, she sets up a lot of good microaggressions. You know, she has posters up in the room about how having blue eyes makes you inferior. Um, she has, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? She uh, talks about how oftentimes during this experiment, she talks about how black children are taught by their teachers. Um, which is also a huge microaggression that goes completely untalked about most times, but the method in which we use to teach black children in our school system now does not work black children. It's not beneficial to them. Oftentimes, due to maybe even unknown to them, but racist beliefs that a lot of white educators have, they set lower bars for their brown and black children. And then them, like she said, force them to live down to those expectations. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the school system, the way it's set up is, it's set up to where, you know, our children, you know, the black and brown children are miseducated, undereducated, and their children are, or, you know, the way the system is set up is that their children, they have more, like, depending upon what vicinity you live in, what area you live in, that would determine what kind of education your child gets. And usually their Absolutely. kids are a little bit more or a lot more educated with a lot more um, opportunities in school. Absolutely. And I think that that all leads up to, it all comes back to microaggressions because none of these things, I don't think that the average everyday white male is going through his life with the intent to be discriminatory or racist towards anyone. They're not the average person. But because of the way that they've been raised and programmed, they don't know any other way. Um, And because of that, there are just little things that they do are racially aggressive. Progressive. Can I touch your hair? <laughs> this is another one of my personal favorites. Or when they don't ask and just plain flat out touch your hair. Or just touch you. That's an aggression. Yeah, I've had someone yeah. touch me in public. Like a lady touch my like hips, like just to touch me to try to like move me or I don't know exactly. She was trying to come closer. I'm like, you're a complete stranger and you're touching me. You know, so it is. Right. 
it's very odd to have someone that you don't know come into your space and then invade it in such a way to where they have no idea. Like, they don't, it's like they didn't even think about it first. It was like it's natural. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you were to and for react. Me, I would not want to touch a complete stranger. I would not want to go up to a complete stranger and just touch them. <laughs> and I understand that that's not okay. But for someone it's, it's to a matter of just touch you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's a lot. And and they do, they want to touch your hair. They want to first ask you if it's real. Then they want to touch it. And it's like, you know, we're not at a petting zoo. You know what I mean? And so right. why do you feel like it's okay to touch me or ask to touch me as though I'm like a dog or something, you know? So that mm-hmm. is a serious thing. I don't know if it's because we're just because we're different than they are. Um, the way our hair grows out of our, our, out of our head is different. The way that, you know, our skin is, is different. Everything about us is different. But I don't understand the, the, the thinking behind <laughs> just because you're different, I want to touch you, or just because you're different, I have to, you know, invade your space. Or, you know, it's like they don't have a complete understanding about respect for other people's space, especially people of color. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're talking about space, that goes beyond physical space. We're talking about Hair. We're talking about hair. Like, um, even when we look at cultural appropriation, I know that's a hot-button topic. People love to talk about it and throw that word around. Um, but literally, they will wear our hairstyles oh, yeah. and then ridicule us for wearing our hairstyles. Right. <laughs> they wear it and make things it Things that we do to keep our hair healthy. Yeah, things that we do to keep our they hair healthy, make things that we do to keep ourselves healthy. Mm-hmm. And they wear it and make it a trend. All of a sudden, it becomes fashionable. And that is a <laughs> – I don't know if I would call that a microaggression. I would call it a flat-out aggression. Um, can I give you an interesting fact? Sure. The reason, to, the reason to me that um, when we talk about cultural appropriation, when we talk about microaggression, the reason these things are so, appro- so important is because when something is really taken and altered – taken from one race and altered by another, you know what I mean, adopted. The swastika, uh-huh. interesting fact, the swastika that Hitler used, you know, as a symbol was actually once a Buddhist symbol for mm-hmm. luck. And then Hitler adopted it. <laughs> and it is now a universally recognized symbol of hate. So it can no longer be used by the people who had created it. Imagine. And that, to me, is why, you know, cultural appropriation is such a huge issue, why that, that kind of aggression, why these types of little aggressions are so important is because they mean things. They mean things, and they can have lasting and far-reaching impacts on our lives. Right. Can we mm-hmm. talk about that, um, you know, as far as just, as far as, like, not we talked about school, but then we can talk about it in the medical industry as well. How, oh, yeah. You know, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous in the medical um, industry because you can be misdiagnosed intentionally. You can be, um, you know, our immunizations have mercury in them, so that's okay, a big concern. Um, do you think that that has anything to do with, like, you know, what we're, you know, the, the, the topic that we're talking about today? Can you talk about it? Like, what what is your idea about you know, the medical industry and how our people... I don't know if I would call those types of things micro... I would call those flat-out aggressions. Those are things that are done 
on a grand scale intentionally. You know what I mean? That, um, macro. <laughs> yeah, those are macroaggressions. Those are, I mean, even if you look at blacks in other communities, if you look at black LGBT, um, black gays were denied AIDS treatment. Intentionally, they weren't put in their neighborhoods, so on and so forth. And black trans women are killed at an alarming rate. An alarming rate. Killed how? Like one in five. One in five trans women of color are murdered. (laughs) Murdered, like, as far as, like, on the street? You mean, like, from street violence? Or you mean, like, in the medical field by surgeries? Or you mean by just, like, people are, like, hate crimes? I'm talking hate crimes. I'm talking medical. There was uh, a couple of accounts, actually, where paramedics just let um, particularly African-American trans women die. Paramedics arrived mm. to the scene and let them die. Didn't see the, didn't see the need in treating them. So it's, it's far-reaching, and it's crucial. It's crucial and highly impactful on the way that our communities are shaped and formed and now we have this thing where black people they say black people don't want to go to the hospital you know what I mean like why why should I (laughs) it's expensive and they're not going to do anything for me and that literally comes from the way that we're treated in the medical field right yeah we need to have our our physical body make up like we need to be in a complete health but we're not getting it through this medical this medical industry because the way it's set up, it's not to heal your body. It's set up to keep you sick, to keep you coming back, to keep you buying pharmaceutical medicines until you until you die. Basically, some people mm-hmm. are taking diabetic, you know, di- medicine for diabetes until you know until the end of their life. You know, different type of medicine yeah. that they put you on, you know, um, for tour, you know, forever. So, or until you die. So. Uh, these things should be like um, we need to find some solutions for our people. Like, how can we, um, how can we like battle this type of aggression? You know, microaggression. And then we talked a little bit about macroaggression. But what should we do as a people to find some solutions to to the issue? The best things we can do as a community is stop inflicting these micro and macroaggressions against each other. If that makes sense, huh. because we can be just as guilty because there's a pressure. There's a pressure when you're black in a room with another black person and you are the two black people in that room, there's a pressure that both of you need to be on point because at that point, both of you feel like you are representatives of your race. So it is quite possible that you might put, you know what I mean, you might put forth microaggressions towards that person to get them to act a certain way, whatever you feel like is the is the right way. We need to stop trying to police each other, if that makes sense. First and foremost, that's the one thing we can do. We can't control what other people do, but we can definitely control ourselves. And um, it's a huge issue is this idea that, you know, we need to take the pressure off of ourselves to represent a whole race, you know what I mean, and take the pressure off of our brothers and sisters to represent a whole race. You know, well, that person's not representative have, of you. That person is representative of themselves. Right. You know, I'm I not. Say, stop it. Mm-hmm. I would say doing, like, during, like, what we're experiencing now as a people, that actually 
I, I would I would say that we need to put the pressure on ourselves to police our own selves because the problem is the the the, the way that the state is policing our people is 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 dangerous. It's dangerous for our children. It's dangerous for our future, and it's it's, it's dangerous for our lives. So if we oh yeah no, when I say place, policing, I don't mean um, in a legal sense. I mean monitoring each other's behavior as far as trying to regulate how someone is acting in public. You know what I mean? If they're not doing anything wrong, if they're not harming themselves or anyone else, you know, maybe that person uses more slang than you do. Maybe that person talks primarily in ebonics, and that's okay. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, you mean permit people to to be able to be themselves? Yes. We need to stop putting a pressure to achieve white excellence on each other. There's no reason. Oh, yeah. I mean, white excellence, that's a mistake in itself. Like, we cannot <laughs> continue to live up to, to this, to this uh, standard that Europeans have placed upon, like, us as far as beauty, as far as, like, um, whatever they have. Yes, for sure. Set the bar I think that that's a huge issue. That's a mistake in itself. We need to come into ourselves and start to love ourselves for who we are and not be, you know, controlled by the westernized, you know, standards of what they have for us, standards of beauty, standards of this, and standards of that. We need, to, we need to come into ourselves and know ourselves so that we can love one, each other, one another, and then that way we can work together. We can buy from each other. We can open up shops. We can do business. But other than that, if we don't start loving ourselves and loving who we are as a people, then we will continue to suffer under, you know, the situation, under the system that we're in now today. Mm-hmm. I would also say that we need to stop putting limits on ourselves. On black people, we need to stop putting limits on themselves. We can't do that. That's not black. You know what I mean? Stop <laughs> putting those limits on ourselves. Stop putting ourselves into a box. Because there is, you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with a skateboarding black kid. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing right, wrong right. with a, a black kid in a rock band. That's our music genre to begin with. Right. There's nothing wrong with black country singers. That's our music genre to begin with. We have to stop right. putting limits on what we can do. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Because mm-hmm. of the programming, people have lost all the information about who we are to begin with, that we are, <laughs> that we are the sole authors of all the music, you know, that everything that is out there, it basically came from us, and it's been taken and, you know, <laughs> over, basically. <laughs> And we need to stop letting what we create be taken over, and we need to realize who we are. That's part of education. And a lot of us lack the proper education to know, you know, who we are, that even opera music started with us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and people think that, oh, it's too white, or if you speak too well, you're you're trying to be white, or if if you're going to get educated, if you're really smart in school, then you're trying to be white. And that's really a misconception. It's really out of ignorance because they don't know any better. People that don't understand who they are and where they came from. And that's the problem with, you know, what we're suffering today. A lot of us don't know who we are and we don't know how to love ourselves. We don't, we're we're misinformed and miseducated. And so it's going to take a lot of unlearning to relearn what everything that we lost, you know. Right. And I think that microaggressions in the workplace, um, especially I, I hear a lot about this uh, studying sociology as microaggressions in the workplace. How does, you know what I mean? Oh. How do we face them every day in the workplace? And there was oh, a woman, yes. oh, I can't remember her name, but she had told the story and she had told the story of how this man 
this white man, and quite frankly, I feel like this might have been a macroaggression and completely intentional, but this white man mispronouncing her name. Um, On purpose. Yeah, he kept mispronouncing her first name. Um, And so he just eventually started calling her something else, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So something outside of her name. Um, It was close to her name. Uh, I wish I could remember her name. I think it was like Shanquisha or something like that, but he kept mispronouncing her name. And he was like, you know, she has a name. She had a name played on her desk. She said, you know. (laughs) And so her response to that was that she would just start calling him. It was completely unprofessional, but she just a bunch of generic white names. <laughs> Todd, he was Jeff. She'd call him a new one every time she saw him. When she'd email, she'd email him that way, you know, under a <laughs> under an assumed name. But in all seriousness, and that's funny, you know, that's a funny and humorous way to deal with it. The man eventually came to her and asked her to stop, which she did. Mm-hmm. Tammy, yeah, I have a question. Microaggression in the workplace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a question. You talk about uh, mm-hmm. Michael. I'm Kenny Jones. Uh, pleased to meet <laughs> you, son. Oh, pleased to meet you. Um, nice you. We talk about microaggression. How do microaggression plays into policy uh, towards the black community in the sociological manner? Oh, all the time. Um, when we look at how we're policed, for example, uh, yes. White people are taught to be afraid of us. They're taught that, that we are dangerous. And so the little microaggressions, like a white woman locking her door when you look over at her, she's in her car and she locks her door, you know, um, it translates yes. to police officers flat out shooting us because they're afraid that we're going to hurt them with no, no, um, no cause to actually be afraid. Or when we're looking about- at school systems and how... Um, black children are punished so much more harshly than white children in school systems. Oh, well, they're put in special ed. They're not punished. They're yeah. put in special education, which leads, I mean, white studies, white research did this. Special education mm-hmm. is known to be leading into prisons. Yeah. If that is, uh, 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 well, let me ask you this. Um, how about micro-education, micro-aggression among black versus black? Um, we see that all the time when, <laughs> when one black person is being loud in a, in a room laughing loudly and someone else looks at them uh, and rolls their eyes. That is a micro-aggression right there, you know. Why are you doing yeah. that? Stop that. You know, you're making, you're drawing attention to us. <laughs> That there is in and of itself is microaggression. Is there such thing as black or black racism? Or like, uh, I'm not like that black person over there. I'm there's not no like benefit. The I, feel like, I feel like there's just, no, you can't be racist without benefit, if that makes sense. There's no benefit to black, or there's no benefit for black people to be racist. We can't even be racist against white people with benefit to us. I feel like that's a huge right. component to racism as the benefit aspect. But there is such well, thing as racism is a power structure. Called racism is right. a power structure. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because and I, I feel, feel like um, I feel like I feel like in the last thirty years there've been so mm-hmm. many African Americans 
that became wealthy. So many um, mm-hmm. uh, African Americans that's in prominent positions, the first this, the first that, the first to do this, that immediately they said, I, 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 sorry for taking over your conversation, Tammy. Uh, no. Uh, they, 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 they're the first, well, I'm not like them. I'm a different kind of black person. I'm a different kind of oh, yeah. They don't want to lose oh, yeah. their ethnicity per se, but on the same hand, they want to be accepted by the dominant culture. And what I mean by the dominant culture, what I mean by the dominant culture, the powerful, the powerful culture. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I think we see that a lot. We see that a lot. I I see I deal with it a lot personally at my college. We have a Pan African uh, Union, uh-huh. and that union has a building. Um, and I, I I we deal with that a lot. And everybody in that building is ethnic uh, because it's also the Latinos and the era, the uh, Middle Eastern. The clubs are all in the same building. Um, and we see that a lot amongst, especially black men. They say, you know, I'm not going to date a black woman. They're too loud. <laughs> they're too loud. You know, or they're, they're rude. Is black that, women are no, rude. No, is that still going on? Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. And it's so cloony. <laughs> I, 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 I can understand. I, can, I, I call that the OJ syndrome. You know, I'm not black. I'm OJ. You know, uh, I call that the OJ syndrome. That wants to denounce its ethnicity, but want to, I just, but want to uh, uh, receive the gains of being the first black to do something, you know. And uh, I can, uh, uh, what you call microaggression, have been going on for. Years, very long, you know. time. very long time, and they're almost unavoidable. They're almost unavoidable in any workplace in Africa right now. In South Africa, schoolgirls are were marching recently so that they can have their natural hair. Yeah, out I, in read school. That. I, I read that. Yeah, the right to wear. I read that. Yeah. Oh, right ahead, Tammy. I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask a question. Go no, ahead. No, Kenneth, I'm glad you're talking because you were so quiet in the beginning. I was wondering what was going on. I, couldn't, I was like, this is way too quiet. Of course, I, I so, just got yeah. from work. I just got from work. Yeah. And, and, and you got to get used to carrying this show on your shoulders. You know? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I'm enjoying the conversation. See, I love to learn. I'm never too old to learn. And, and, and I, I feel that we all can learn from each other. Baby boomers, baby boom boomers, Generation X, the millennials, which all are labels. We got to get real labels, really. But, we need you know, to talk to our youth. We need to talk uh-huh. to our youth. We need to have more youth on because the youth are our future, and we need to realize yes. that these are the I ones that are going to be carrying the torturous sport. I had I, I, uh, <laughs> on the bus. I had everybody listening to you, and, and I had John Seeker. Like, wow, oh the bus God. was quiet for the first time, and, and, and people were <laughs> smiling. I said, these are young folks. These are youngies. <laughs> uh, sorry to call you youngies, but, yeah, you're youngies. Uh, these are young folks, you know. And, and this, this was coming up behind us. Listen to what they got to say. It's very yep. important. Because we can learn from each other, because, you know, I've been in battles, and let me tell you, 
Y'all got some battles coming up against you. You got mm-hmm. some battles coming up against you. And, and, and you got to continue to stay in the mind frame of being Afrocentric, being uh, 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 um, dedicated, because it's going to be some tough times. Because it's not an easy thing of saving black folks. But we not have been so embedded. We have been so embedded. What you said earlier, that we have been brainwashed to feel the white picket fence, the house, the materialistic thing. And if you're not living a certain lifestyle, you're not making. Who said that the European culture is the right way? We have our own culture. And more and more as we, as more and more as we, um, how shall I say, as we get to years, you know, we're losing our identity. And it's so hard to fight to gain, to know our identity, to know our history, to know, like, hey, like, who say that we're dressed, don't you know, on my, or, or my job, three young men was fired because they didn't cut off their dress. Dress? Wow. Yo. Wow. wow. Dress is a part of our culture, man. You talk about wow. microaggression? That is microaggression to the 10th power. To bring the science, wow. and the mathematics into it, you know. Oh, that <laughs> is had, crazy. We had we had a mathematical convention at, at, at my job and everything. Yeah, that is microaggression to the tenth power. God, look up microaggression. Yeah. It, it's it's that is policies, behavior, and attitude against one's culture. Mm-hmm. To get rid that of a culture. Mm-hmm. Aggressively, even I, just, I don't understand. You were fired over dress. Yes. yes. Why? White people walk around here with they sebum smelling like all kind of dog all the time. Uh, <laughs> three young men, and they were nice young men too, man. They said they told them to cut the grass, and they stood there because they cut on my dress. Well, you gotta go. That's not not cool. And, you know, I don't understand why are they so threatened by the way that we are different. Because I don't understand why they they are so threatened by hair. Why are they so threatened by sharing power? Black men, historically, historically, see, I'm sorry to take it. That's why I wanted to shut up and listen to y'all. Black men, (laughs) black men, historically, since Hannibal, Hannibal started this stuff. White men have been afraid of black men for centuries. For centuries. Mm-hmm. They, why do you think when they went up in Egypt, they burned all them books? They burned everything mm-hmm. to the ground. Because history will show that we are the inventors. Every, they are afraid. You are afraid of the truth. And let me tell you something this. And Tammy knows. We had a person on the show about three weeks ago that said they know they they know our history more than we know our own history, and that's by yeah. design. That's by design. You know, a, a, a white mm-hmm. professor can stand up there and tell you 
all about Egypt and Ethiopia and South Africa. Mm-hmm. My black man can't. Uh, he will tell you. He gonna tell you the European, the Eurocentric version, which is the wrong mm-hmm. version. You know, when we look at even quiet. the globe, the, the way that they set up the um, the map in classrooms. Um, once again, Jane Elliott had actually brought this up. The way that the map is set up in classrooms, white countries are larger than they should be on the map. Like, <laughs> they're larger than they should be on purpose. Hey, on purpose, you, larger than they should be, and brown countries are smaller. Well, I was a young fella. There was this professor to us, and he said, if you take Africa and turn it to the side and put the brains inside of Africa, it's the same shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that tell you who was the original man. And, I, I mean, or mm-hmm. and I mean, and and, 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 and when, when white historians, white sociologists, white anthropologists, when they go to Africa, they do the digging and they find out who was the original man and everything. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you the original man came from Africa, but even Africans are starting to become so Eurocentric, like John Henry Clark said, Africa is starting to lose its way. Oh, yes, for sure. Taking off the guard. I think that Uh, that uh, even uh, even if we look at how religion is taught in Africa, you know, what is the importance of teaching Africans about a white god? What does that say? You know what I mean? That, Christianity. You know, God looks oh, like us. Yeah, God oh, looks like us. Oh, God boy. looks like white people. Oh, 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 oh. They, they like to tell them that. There. Oh, okay. yeah. That's your subject there. Oh, okay. That's your subject there. They like to tell them that God looks like us. Um, God looks like us. God is the God looks like us. Santa Claus looks like us. No one looks like you. That's what they tell them. They go there and they tell them that, you know, God is white. You want to be as white as possible and have completely brainwashed and eradicated countries, countries in Africa, whole countries, completely altered by colonization. And it's yes. Yeah. And, and, and if you tell you them that there is no Jesus, if you tell them that there is oh. no white Jesus, if you tell them that there is no white God, they will try to stone and lynch you. And, and, but see, that's all part of the aggression. That that that's all part uh, of the change to slavery by Doctor Doctor Naim It's all part of the change to slavery. And see, see, it's easy to slave enslave a body, but once you enslave the mind and the heart, you got generations. You know how long we've been believing in this. Even in 2017, mm-hmm. you go to the, some black churches, they still got the white Jesus. Now, you know what? Now, personally, I'm not going to knock a man's religion. I'm not mm-hmm. going to knock a, uh, a man's belief system. My own, and I tell this that Tammy hate when I say this, but uh, I, I say as long as you believe the benefit of the progression of the black man is cool. Because we all had different beliefs and whatnot. But there are black mm-hmm. preachers that know the truth and still 
teaching white lies. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So and they can the most talking. interesting thing the most interesting thing to me about white Jesus, like the modern interpretations, the look, the styling of white Jesus, is that it is based off of Leonardo da Vinci's gay lover in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> so there's a know, lot. Know, yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah, lot going on. Yeah, that's but see, that's rumors. There's no documentation, you know. But of course, some people say that was his Mike, that was his nephew, you know. But uh, but let's see. See, religion is so sensitive in this country. Uh, 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 as black folks, we got to stay away from it when we're trying to accomplish accomplish a goal. And, 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 and we should have a similar goal, but even though we have different methodology in obtaining that goal. And that goal, oh, yeah, for sure. like I said, yeah, a minute ago, it's the progression of the black man. And when I say about the black man, I'm not talking about man. I'm talking about race, using Eurocentric right. theory, theological uh, term, terminology, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a man equals race and what have you. Right. And, and we have to, uh, uh, and we all have to understand that, uh, I mean, they're black Muslims. Right. They believe in mm-hmm. the law. Yep. It is a religion. The Hebrew. Uh, nation of Islam has uh, been so we're racialized. Not, yeah, we're now a monolithic people, uh, and we are very diverse within our own culture, but we all have a common enemy, and that is oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and let me tell you something this. Let me tell you this. Mm-hmm. Aggression towards the black man has always been a part of our history since the birth of this country. Hmm. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I, I think that part of it is that it's a fear of sharing power. It's the idea that if they share power, they will lose that power, as opposed to thinking of it as if they share power, we will all be more empowered and more powerful. Um, yeah. And because of that fear of sharing power due to what they have done with their power, how they've utilized their power to oppress, create a fear that the same thing can happen to them. And as our country becomes more and more majority-minority, I feel like we're we're not the minority. Let's get that term out the way. We're not the minority. Well, they, We're the majority. The black and brown people make more people than, 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 than the Europeans in this country, yes. than the Caucasians That's in this country. Matter, in fact, in the world, black, brown, yellow, and red people make more of the earth. All right? And that's, that, that, that's their numbers. They're not my numbers. Yes. That's their numbers. Okay, you know, to tell us that we are the minority, to tell us that, that we are the minority is a mass deception. It's a deception to make us feel like we're just like they shrunk Africa on the map. To make us feel like that we're we're not as powerful as we really are, or not as big as we really are, or there's not as many. But that's all of part of the microaggression. That's all part of the microaggression policy. You see, microaggression is not just military or police action. 
microaggression also deal with policies, attitudes, and behaviors. Yep. It's how you interact with oneself. Man, let, I'll let y'all go with you. Uh, Tammy, I'll let you go with your interview. No, I was enjoying yes, you, Kenneth. I, I was just saying, and you guys touched on religion, too. You know, religion is a mass deception as well. It's something to keep us divided so that we can continuously not join as one people. They have invented these religions to divide the people so they can conquer us and continue to be in power over us. This I would is, agree. These are all the policies and all of the things that they set in place. These are things that they set down and planned for us. What we should be thinking about is how do we combat this, these deceptions that are placed on us continuously? What do we I do? Think one, what are some one huge thing to realize is that there is a huge difference between religion and belief. Those are not the same thing. Religion is organized, and I believe personally that religion That's is organized true. for power. Yep. That's what religion yep. is for. Belief is personal. Yep. Uh-huh. And so if we can accept that, you know, I have this belief, and the person next to me doesn't have to share my belief. The person next to me doesn't right. have to walk in my lifestyle. The person next to me doesn't have to have the same ideologies as me as long as they are for our people. You know what I mean? Because that is... The person next to me is me, you know what I mean? As far as that, I am Eric Garner, you know what I mean? I am, I am, you know what I mean? My brother, my sister, I see them and I am them. They matter to me. They are of me. And I think that we have a huge disconnect. The problem really is that black people have lost the ideology that black things are important. Yep. Um. Let me ask you this Let me ask you this Do you feel That We should have An African American agenda Um I uh, feel uh, I mean, Tavis, You know there, There's some prominent So called Black leaders That's older than me Feel that we should have an African American agenda. Do we? Do you feel that we should continue to be involved in the political structure of this country? Well, African American agenda. I feel that yes and no. I feel like this country. A lot of the time, people will say that the system is broken. The system is not broken. Yeah. It is designed it, to do exactly what it's doing. If I build a computer that doesn't connect to the Internet, my computer is not broken because it's not connecting to the Internet. It's doing what it's supposed to do. So um, I think that voting, voting locally especially, is important because it helps give us the foundation to move outside of this political system, if that makes sense. So if yeah. you are putting oh, people in power in your area. Kevin believe in voting. I think that if you vote locally and you vote for people who share the similar similar beliefs and ideologies in terms of black liberation, if you are voting for someone who says, you know what, we need more charters for schools. 
we need more charter schools. That opens up opportunities for black charter schools. You see what I'm saying? If you are not voting but, but locally, see, people in your neighborhood. But that's government hmm? intervention. I, you know, that's government It's Like Malcolm said, you know, well, you got to be independent. You got to break it off in all, in all facets. I agree, but I think that you have to build to that. You can't just you can't just quit it completely because then you have no control. Yeah, you have to you have to you have to build towards your liberation. You have to lay the foundation for you to be able to move. You cannot move out of your current house until you have a deposit for your next house. So we need to start building our deposit for our next house, if that makes sense. And the way that we yes. do that is we are voting for people who are going to allow us to do the things that we need to do in order to separate from the system. But Emmanuel, well, but, but Emmanuel, but check this out. Mm-hmm. But check this out, Emmanuel. It comes to time. But like, 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 like what Dr. King said, his birthday coming up. When is the time? You know, like, when is the time mm-hmm. to do that? The time is now because. Because I feel, like, like, personally, we've been kissing up the master for many, or I shouldn't say that. We should, we, we have been involved in this American political system for many years, and look where it got us. Even though it's going to be rough in the beginning, it got to come a time we had to step off that plantation. And this is the plantation, and I'm using it as an analogy. You know, this is a plantation, and, and we have to step. Even though we may not, we have the resources, but we don't have the belief in ourselves yet. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it has to come at the time. You know, when, when is the time? You know, when is the right time? And, of course, mm-hmm. see, yes, yes. Absolutely. Then, at what time? At what time? Yes, you say yes. We got to make sure that we have everything right. We got to make sure. But we need government assistance right now. When you have government assistance, they still have the foot on your neck. Quote, I can see that. Unquote. I can see how you said that. I can see how you, I can see okay, that. Tab, I can see that point. That's a valid point. Yeah, Tab, we have like two seconds. minutes left. Yeah, we got 90 we seconds, 90 Tam. So, Emmanuel, just real quick, can you tell us how we can get the youth involved more? How can we lobby the youth together? Um, I think the perfect thing to do is to actually ask the youth. You know what I mean? What is it that you think? What is it that you feel? What do you feel like we can do to help you? Um, also, I think that it's important to start teaching seconds, specifically black women, young black women, that, you know, they are, they have a lot of power and a lot of control. Black women have carried our community for a very long time, and they have a lot of power and a lot of control over their lives. You ain't lying about that, brother. You ain't lying about mm-hmm. that. Yes. It's a shame. Well, thank you so One much point. for coming on. Thank you, Emmanuel. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, yes, thank you, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, hmm? did, you, did you get your information to Tammy? Yeah. I will be in touch with you, okay? All right. Thank you. All right. No, thank you, brother. Thank you. (laughs) Have a good one, guys. Yeah. This is Tammy's first show. 
Hey, Tabby, good job. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. All I'm right. going to call, call you in about two seconds, Tammy. All right. Goodbye, All right. Black Bye, Black America. America. All right. Till next week. 